You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. We're living in color. How y'all doing? My name is Deontay Damper and you're watching We Live in Color. So excited about this new episode. But before we watch, remember to like, share and subscribe to watch not just We Live in Color, but Converge Media. We have a great show today. I have a great friend, community activist, paralegal, so many hats, so many hats. Uh, Castile Hightower here with us today. But Castile has been community family for years, okay? We have a small clip. Oh, play that clip. We're also one of the highest paid departments in the the city of Seattle. Uh, One of the most inflated budget that just got 5.4 million in overtime pay during the Justice for George Floyd movements in, in, in Seattle that showed so much brutalization of so many peaceful protests. They got um, additional pay for that. Uh, just looking at this department and seeing just the lack of accountability again, like if, if I were to you know, respond to something that had to do with my job that directly harmed a family, that directly traumatized a family, I would get fired for that. But they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to to not have any accountability, to, to, to continue to make excuse after excuse after excuse. And what is my family supposed to do in, in the meantime? Just continue to grieve, just be okay with that? Um, I, I think it just shows the power of a movement and the, and the need of movements in order to pressure these institutionalized, these, these multiple institutions who refuse to have any accountability for their actions, who push back against any type of, I'm not necessarily reformers, but any type of change to the way that they're lacking in that accountability. They, they push back on, you know, community oversight boards. They push back on defunding, but there's they have the, the largest budget in the Seattle city. So what is it? Should, should we now continue to just have this overinflated budget with lack of accountability and be okay with that? When do we say enough is enough? My, my family is a casualty of their lack of accountability. My family was directly harmed. My brother was snatched from us. And I'm supposed to be okay with them not giving me answers and continuing to gaslight my family, continue to make excuses for the fact that they refuse to give us answers. I'm not okay with that. I don't think anyone who believes in justice for impacted families, who believes in justice for impacted people who have been brutalized by the Seattle police are, should be okay with that. And if that didn't tell you about how fire my next guest is, we need to talk more about this accountability. And we also need to continue to say his name, Herbert Hightower. I have Castile Hightower here next. You're going to take a quick break. You're watching We Live in Color. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. And we're back with We Live in Color. I'm here with the lovely Castile Hightower. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so happy that you're here. Happy to be here. We go a long ways, ladies, yeah, back. I know. And I know that I wanted to start off with your your message because like you when you speak, you just 
it's it's passion, it's fire, and and just to make sure that we continue to acknowledge our brother is so important for community. Uh, but I remember little Castillo. <laughs> Awkward, nerdy <Yeah>. Castillo. <laughs> Can you take us back, like um, before every before you came into this beautiful activist, right? How did you become? What was it like growing up here in Seattle? Yeah, um, I probably would want to take it back a little bit further than okay, that. Okay, let's go far, far back. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess just for people to understand our story just a little bit more. Um, I'm originally from Arkansas, Helena, Arkansas, a really small town. Um, I spent the first 10 years of my life there. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, and so he moved around a lot. So my brother Herbert was actually born in Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, he didn't speak English for like the first one to two years of his life because he was at the Navy base in, in Seoul, Korea. Um, but I was born in Arkansas, and uh, we grew up pretty poor. We grew up very country with cows and well, not with cows, but there were cows in the country and things of that nature. Um and I, we just kind of spent a lot of time outdoors playing and things like that. Um, and then um, when I was about seven years old, my brother Andre Latham was actually shot and killed. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Okay. So you, so it was it's three of you. You have three. It's three of you in your family? Actually, there's a lot. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I'm the youngest of five on my mother's side. And then my dad had about three to four uh, other children. Um, some one that's younger than me and two to three that are older than me. Okay. But the way I was raised, I was raised mainly with, um, the four other children along with myself that were all my mother's children. Okay. So the oldest of those five was Andre. Okay, um, can you tell us a little bit about Andre? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so Andre was deaf. Um, but he was like, he was kind of like my dad because he was so much older than me because I was the baby. Um, and he helped us just kind of learn sign language. And so when I was younger, I was a lot more fluid in sign language, which is something I want to kind of pick, pick up again. Um, but he was really good at basketball. Um, so he would, we would go down to this community center pretty often and just kind of, you know, hang out. It was one of the many places that we had, or one of the few places that we had just kind of in the town that we lived. Um, and so when we were, at the community center, we just kind of, you know, talk to the kids and things of that nature. He'd stay a little bit longer afterwards to just play with uh, the other children that were there. But on one particular night, he was down there playing and he was so good at basketball that he'd show Bo a little bit, you know, show yeah. off and things like that. He's a, he's a kid. Like, I think he was only like in his early 20s at the most. Um, and so one night he was down there playing with the young man and we we kind of knew it was kind of well known that there was a gun that was kept in the office that was unlocked. Um, when I was a kid, it was more so a rumor, but it seemed wow. like a lot of kids knew about one of the, I don't know what you would call them. Like one of the community center staff uh, persons had a gun in his drawer there um, and he didn't lock it up. So my brother was down there playing basketball winning and then kind of showboating and my, my brother's deaf so he couldn't hear that the other young man that he was playing with was getting was like saying things and and you know um getting anger and anger and things of that nature so after my brother had beat him in basketball um the young man went into the office that he knew where a gun was kept uh took the gun and then came back out and shot my brother in the chest my god yeah. And that was here in Seattle or was that in Arkansas? It was in Arkansas. Oh, wow. and it was what brought us to Seattle was the gun violence we experienced um, when we lived in Arkansas. Because my dad's family is mainly from like Arkansas. A lot of them have migrated to like Missouri now, but a lot of them were from Arkansas. And so that's kind of what kept us there. And then after my brother Andre died, uh, we moved up to Seattle, which is where a lot of my mom's family is from. Like we've 
uh, we're in Chief Self, different uh, yearbooks, and we went to Rainer Beach, and my parents met in Seattle. Okay. So we have a lot of history here. That's just a, that's something just to move here because of mm -hmm. gun violence in that space, right? Yeah. Then you come here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and shout out to your mother, who's a resilient lady. Yeah. Got an sure. opportunity to meet her, but uh, um, you come here and then you went to Rainer Beach? Yes. Okay. okay. You went to Rainer Beach, mm -hmm. but what other high schools did you go to? So I went to Rainer Beach, I went to Chief Self, and I went to Ingram as well. You went to Ingram. Mm -hmm. Now we. <laughs> Yeah. So I know just seeing them on the news recently had to really just like. Yes. Yeah. My just, heart goes out mm -hmm. to the family mm -hmm. of the young person that was killed and then all the children and the staff that were impacted as well. So yeah. It was a shock. So going through high school, what were you like in high school? Because you was real yeah. quiet. I was super quiet. Really, really yeah. quiet. I was very quiet. I had like about my three to four friends that I just and I was just really insecure going through that whole teenage angst, trying to figure out who I was, you know, um, I am queer. So just trying to just struggling with that. And yeah. then, you know, in the black community, it's. So let's, let's, let's unpack that. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole lot. <laughs> so being queer, right. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was that process like through, through, through community? Right. Cause we already looked through one lens of how we're supposed to be, how yeah. we're supposed to be. So. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just like, feeling like there's a part of me that's lacking getting the the um more so the homophobic message that there was a part of me that was lacking and you're from down south yeah so i know it was real bible yeah yeah bible thumping going on yeah you know you just think there's something wrong with you that's that's at least what i experienced it's like you know i don't want to get too graphic but just feeling like i'm not whole I don't completely fit or why do I have these feelings and things of that nature and thinking there's something just inherently wrong about that rather than just being in a community that just makes me feel accepted you know and I'm not necessarily saying that painting a broad stroke but just as a black person it was a struggle for me because of the different messages that I got as far as what it means to be you know black and what it means to be in community and what it means to be you know normal or what all the problematic things that yeah. make you stay in the closet for a lot longer and not really live in your truth you know when did you come out oh man uh, i don't remember <laughs> it was late i was actually probably in my late 20s okay. when i actually just was like you know what if you are in my life then you have to accept this part about me and i think it probably was because i was out on my own i didn't you know i was paying my own bills okay. you know <laughs> i didn't feel like i was obligated to anyone in any way that would have you know really affected my life negatively. I was like, you know what, if I'm paying my own bills, if I'm if, if I'm putting this this roof over my head, you know, then I'm gonna accept myself for who I am. Um and probably just the media that I was kind of looking at and seeing other people live their truths and yeah. just feeling like, why can't that be me? Why can't I just live my truth? You know, yeah. um, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly normal. I'm a normal human being who's queer and there's nothing wrong with that. Was the family accepting? I got to ask that. Um, yeah, they were. Yeah. They really were. Um, it was a little awkward. I think it's just because it was a bit of a surprise because I definitely suppressed it a whole lot. But they were very welcoming, very open, uh, very accepting of me. And I feel really gracious for that. You know, I feel really grateful for that to be able to come out and not feel like I'm going to have to deal with a whole other level of trauma, you know, just in the fact of me accepting myself for who I am. Yeah. So. And I've never heard you talk about your queerness. Oh, so it's I <laughs> It's, it's just a, a light, right? Mm. Um, and like, 
throughout your process of growing up and like right before you came out, you know, I know um, what was high, that high school. Well, actually, you know what? We'll t- we're going to get into high school senior year. Right. Okay. Um, and we're going to do that when we come back. You're watching We Live in Color. So we are back here where we live in color. I'm here with Castile Hightower. So we were talking about graduation year. All four for show though. Um, so can you walk us through that year for you? Yeah. So I was at Ingram High School at that time. Um, and I was just kind of going through the flow of being a high school senior. Um, you know, all that comes with that. And then pretty much in the middle of that was when my brother Herbert Hightower Jr. was shot and killed by Seattle police while he was experiencing a mental health crisis. And so because of that level of trauma, it really disrupted just everything in my life, everything in my family's life, it just kind of all imploded, however you want to describe it. Do you remember where you were when you found out the news? Yeah, I was at home. I was sleeping and my mom woke me up at that time. It was myself, my mom and her boyfriend were living um, on Stone Avenue, like kind of right across from the the street that my brother was killed at. Um, And my sister lived down the street in the same apartment complex with my brother Herbert. And then above us was his uh, girlfriend or ex-girlfriend and uh, my nephew Andre had lived upstairs. So we were all kind of really close together. But when I found out, my mom woke me up and it was just kind of like this flood of like red and blue lights. And then it gets kind of blurry a bit and like the sequence of events that kind of happened afterward. And how soon did y'all find out like it was by a cop? Yeah, it was. So we were kind of taking tally of where everyone was at the time. And we were just like, where's Herbert? You know, and the biggest thing is that it became a very familiar feeling for me. So after losing Andre, you know, I just kind of started feeling that same familiar feeling when things were kind of happening, were kind of blurry. I was like, this feels really familiar and I don't like it, you know. But, you know, where's Herbert? Where's Herbert? And it was almost like we were asking the question, but we're regretfully knowing the answer. So, yeah. So in, in going through that. Right. So what was the support like in community like through that time? Right. Um, because, I mean, it was 04. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on here in Seattle. I think we just got the no, the riots were six years before that. But either mm-hmm. way, uh, police injustice. Uh, officers shooting mm-hmm. uh, shooting black men like that was a rare conversation in community <laughs> it was but not as pushed right mm-hmm. so what was that like um, throughout mm-hmm. that space so for us we struggle with a lot of support um i did learn later years later that there was like a concert that was done in order for us to pay to get my brother buried wow. and for the funeral itself, but we weren't able to get him a headstone. We weren't able to do that until we were all adults many years later. Yeah. Um, but we struggled with support. You know, we were always kind of, you know, below the poverty line. We were low income, living in low income housing. Um, so just trying to figure out everything, trying to navigate the system, trying to figure out answers. We would begin we were getting different answers by the police every time they visited our house and every time it became less empathetic and it became less accountable and more so about them just protecting themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, getting those type of messages, not fully understanding what happened because every time they came, it was very different from the last story. So the confusion that came with that. And then we were harassed by the media. There was a moment when there was a media person outside of our house and my mom was literally in the bed crying, you know, 
going through all of the stages of grief. And this person is like trying to put a camera in front of our face and trying to have us talk about that as we're going through that trauma. Wow. Yeah. And then later on, because we didn't speak to that person. I, well, I don't know if it was because we didn't, but later on we saw that they just vilified my brother, you know, so not feeling ready. And vilified him isn't how. I mean, they brought up different things that would make him look like, you know, it was his fault um, that he was a problem. Um, I know that my brother had not necessarily a criminal record, but he had been in King County at one point or another. So bringing that whole situation up and then, um, yeah, just really making it seem like the officer had no choice type of situation, yeah. which we later found out is is a lot sketchier. Right. So and, and you found out that later you found mm-hmm. out that process later on. Yeah. So over the years, you what what in between like the 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 death in 2004 and up until then what was your process like through through that space because now you're working in law so walk me through that process yeah so kind of what made me want to pursue like being a paralegal was um the killings of my brothers and wanting to i i just spent hours on youtube and i was interested in learning how to use the law in order to protect each other, um, like things like how do you act when you're in the presence of, of, an, of a law officer? What kind of things can help keep you safe? Which as black folks, you know, who knows what that really looks like? You know, yeah. there's there's so many things we can prepare ourselves for, but when it comes to police violence, sometimes logic is out the window when it comes to how we're being interacted with, right? Yeah. And so um, at that time, I was just really interested in learning about how the law can be used to help protect community, to help serve community, to help uplift community and to empower the community. That's my viewpoint on on the law at that particular point in time. Um, At the time I was working at Providence Health and Services and I had been there for about five years, but due to the recession, there was like this massive layoff and hundreds of us got laid off, but they gave us a couple months in advance to uh, figure out what to do. And so I took that opportunity to learn about different programs that I could, you know, be able to pursue a paralegal degree. And I found a, a, a program through Edmonds College, which is why I ended up graduating. I just mm-hmm. kind of went right back to Edmonds College and uh, why I got my high school diploma and was able to get my paralegal degree from there as well. Okay. And, and how was that process? Like, literally, like once you started getting into law, did you start looking more into your brother's your brother's cases? Um, I didn't start looking more into my brother's case until about 2020. Okay. And that was a bit before that. And it was probably because my direction at that time wasn't necessarily police accountability. It was more so using the law to empower each other. And, you know, but it was based on the fact of my own personal experience losing someone in such an unjust way. Yeah, absolutely. And then now, like 2020, that was Mm -hmm. a year for you, Yeah, you know, and can you walk walk community like through that process? Because you had that you had you had rising up right mm-hmm. i look at you castile as like a phoenix right because when you like finding your voice and finding your passion and not not doubting yourself i've watched mm-hmm. you just go go forth mm-hmm. so can you walk us through that year for for me oh my goodness so like just seeing that seeing how cuz for me for where we were coming from it was such a quiet and solemn and almost a silencing trauma. Yes, absolutely. And seeing other people 
just be so loud and boisterous about it and seeing the amount of community support that was there and just seeing the explosion of just, we've never seen something like that before in my lifetime. I think in, in most of our lifetimes, this huge just civil rights movement, particularly for people who have been harmed and killed by police violence within the black community, you know? And so I'm seeing all of this happen. I'm, you know, working at um, a law firm at the time. I think we kind of started going towards uh, hybrid work. So I'm like at home, seeing all this happen. And honestly, I'm gonna just be really vulnerable. There was just a point in my time, in my life, I was just, I just broke down. Yeah. I was like, why, why not us? Why can't we fight just like everyone else? Why can't we get justice? Why can't we get accountability? And I, it just, it broke me. I was just, I, I have to do, I have to say something because it was more so a conversation amongst friends and family that knew about Herbert. And it, I just felt like I'm invisible, but I'm not, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So. And you're not. Yeah. So talking with your family, <clears throat> excuse me, God kind of got me there. Talking with your family, um, throughout that process, how did you, how did you start putting, going into action? I don't, I think I just, I was like, I was kind of frantic. I was like, who can help me? Who can help me? Okay. Who can do like, <laughs> so I was, I'd already kind of like, I was, I was familiar with like King County Equity Now. I was familiar with some of the work that Nikita Oliver was doing, all the amazing work that they were doing. Um, and just like all of these different heroes in the Seattle community that was just doing all this amazing work. And so I just started reaching out to whoever, you know, and I was able to connect with a lot of other people. And I was like, here's my story. What, what, what can we do? What can, can you help me? How can you help me? You know, um, how can I get involved in this? How can I talk about this? Um, how can we get some kind of justice? I'm like, I know it's a long shot. I know it's been, cause at that point it was like 16 years after my brother had passed. But I was like, I had watched different videos of people going to like DC and doing all these demonstrations. And there were people out there like me that had lost a loved one to police violence. So like decades ago and still yeah. out there saying, if I'm not out here, if I don't say anything, then who's gonna do it? Who's gonna talk about it? And, you know, my brother was my brother. You know, he was a part of my life. He, we share the same mom and dad. We have like the same DNA. And I'm like, he has a, he has a son, he existed. And it felt like what happened to us wiped him off the map, you know? And I'm like, no, he existed. He was here, he matters. People need to know about this. Yeah. Like just, just seeing like the crying mothers, you know, crying about the, and, and then like feeling like to myself, like, that's my mom. That's my mom. And I want people to know that because she holds so much pain from losing. Like I'm a mom now. I can't, I can't imagine losing two children to in such a violent way. One in the community, another against an entire system that you almost feel like there's another death and another death. And every time you, you think about the injustices, you think about the, how the system allows just a re-traumatization of people who deserves empathy, who deserve support, who deserve resources. So in, keep on going, sis. <laughs> 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 yes, it's real. But I, one thing I love is like the turnaround, like you, mm. like how you stated, like, you know, it was, it was hard to get, find like the support, especially yeah. because like we didn't have the camera phones. Mm. We didn't have yeah. the, like, we didn't have social media. Yeah. 
But then that turnaround happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the support that you and your family got at that point just seemed like it was it was there and it was calls to action. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, Takia, shout out to Takia, yes. Uh, yes. Art of the Matter. Um, I know Takia designed. Can you walk us through that process? Because it was, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, your brother and Shani Dalau. Shout out to Dalau's mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm blanking a little bit on exactly how I got connected to Takia Ward. Um, But somehow in that process, we were connected. And we had been talking about just general artwork that could be done for my brother. I think at first we were talking about like a mural, but then she got this amazing opportunity with Russell Wilson. And so she reached out to me and they were like, you know, there's this opportunity. And I was like, yeah, for sure. This sounds amazing. You know, Um, and it was kind of, it was really funny because my family's a huge Seahawks fan. Like everyone loves the Seahawks. I I know a lot about the Seahawks against my will okay. because my family talks. You better about than them. me, sis, because I mean my <laughs> friends are still making fun of me. Sorry, y'all, but yeah. But like my my nephew Andre loved Russell Wilson, um, and so it was just, it was really an honor to be able to see my brother honored in that way, and for other people to learn about you know pieces of his story, if not a large portion of his story, um, by the work that Zakia did and the work that Russell up- uplifted. Yeah. So it was it was really awesome to see that happen. They were amazing. Yes, okay. I wanted really me was. up here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get into some more. We'll be we'll be back in just oh yep. And we'll be back to having more discussions about murals, <laughs> movements, and moments. You're watching We Live in Color. And we're back with We Live in Color. Castile, you are such a movement. Oh, thank you. And your brother's name is a movement in the spaces of this community. You know, last year, um, still still in the arena of like getting out of the pandemic, uh, you had a march. Do you want to talk about a little bit about that? Because a yeah. lot started, ha- it, it was already happening, but it just started happening even more in the space. You were there. Yeah, I was there. Yep, yep. Uh-huh. Was there. On our link tree, yeah. on your face. Right. <laughs> and I appreciate you. Oh, I love along you. Along with Trey Holiday that yeah. came out and spoke and a, a number of others. But um, we walked. So when my brother was killed, there was a place that he had started can you, walking Can we from. say just for the, if it's okay, mm-hmm. just say where he was killed at? Yeah, he was killed like right across the street from um, our home in North Seattle off of Stone Avenue. So like kind of right in the middle of the right street. Right by the hospital. There's a hospital over yeah, there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's a hospital and then there's a graveyard. And he was kind of like just passing the graveyard, which, yeah, you yeah. know, um, so he started walking from a payphone that was at a 7-Eleven that was not too far from, from our home. And then he started walking kind of up. The, I think it was it was south. And then he, he made a left and started walking past the uh, hospital and then eventually came kind of where the graveyard was, which is where he was shot and killed. And so part of the march was us walking, you know, it was called a walk for Herbert. And so we basically retraced his steps and it was super emotional. Um, because my mom was there, uh, my brother and yeah. my sister are there. And we had never done that before in our entire lives since Herbert had been killed to just even go there as a group. We never we had never been there as a group before in, in like the last, what, 16 years at that six, 17 years, I think it was at, the, at that point. And so um, we retraced his steps. And then I had like a little plexi board up that um, talked about his story, which was in, uh, in a handwritten note. And the reason why I chose it as a handwritten note was because a handwritten note was found on my brother telling us goodbye. And that was how we knew that he was having a mental health crisis at the time that he was shot and killed. Um, And then we kind of ended it at 
the place that we ended was actually right in front of his last apartment okay. um, where he had shared with my sister. And so it was just really interesting, um, just kind of, you know, sitting there and talking about him and saying his name and, and speaking about his story right across from the last place that he had resided in. Yeah. So and it had to be full circle for family, at least at that point. But oh, yeah. I respect your family and all families have lost their 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 loved one to gun violence, um, let alone by police. Um, but you kept going. Yeah. And there's a community out here that supports mm-hmm. and we now have a mural. Yeah. So can we talk about the mural? Yeah. Because that's, that's been a project. Oh my goodness. Did I tell you about that? Uh, yes, oh, uh, that? Yes. Oh, goodness. Okay, we ain't gonna get in that part. But there actually have been two murals. Um, there was one that was first painted uh, by a gentleman who uh, lives in Everett. Um, named, his name is Ruben. Um, and so he painted a mural at this uh, cafe called uh, Squirrel Chops. And so there's, it's kind of like a, a larger board that shows his face. And then there's a, a really big mural that's um, done and that was recently done in uh, Burien. And that was by Vivid Matter Collective uh, artists, uh, BT, Afro um, and Max. And I believe BT and Afro made two of of the letters that was created for the Black Lives Matter mural down in Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it was pretty amazing because it was really they used a lot of his artwork. Herbert was an artist. Um, we all were kind of like nerds and dorks that loved comic books and Marvel and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. And so we still have a lot of his artwork um, just scattered amongst our family. And so they incorporated some of that into the mural and created a whole entire superhero called Power Herb that was, you know, named after my brother, which yeah. is amazing because a lot of our childhood was thinking about, oh, who's going to play the X-Men? Yeah. You know, if there ever was a movie. Yeah. Um, which X-Men would you be? Oh. Can I ask you that? Uh, I, you just caught me off guard there. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know, maybe Storm or something. Not to typecast yeah. myself. Uh, right, right. <laughs> Oh, Jubilee. Okay. Ooh, ju- oh, have- high five. Jubilee. Yes. I love Jubilee. Jubilee. And I love me some Rogue. I like Rogue. Oh, my God. Rogue. We were over here during the breaks talking about movies and what yeah. we should watch. So, superheroes yeah. is one of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Know- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I was just going to go into nerd mode. How yep. much I love Jubilee and the X-Men <laughs> and all of those things. I just got, we were just talking about earlier. I just got into Star Wars mm-hmm. a little bit and started going, I'm watching Andor, which is amazing. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but we're yeah. here. But if, yeah. it's just the joy, yeah. seeing you smile. Aww. I know that this process has been, is has to be extremely heavy, but no different from Black Media. Media Matter Studio, everyone in Converge, we fully support you and your family. But what what is next? What more can we do to support? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I think kind of what we were talking about earlier, just coming into our own, you know, um, a lot of what I did in the beginning, I was supported by a lot of brilliant minds and a lot of supported persons. But, you know, I'm almost 40 now and I'm ready to just kind of step into my own a bit and seeing where that takes me. Um, I kind of went through a phase in my life where I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go. And, you know, that caused trauma and and frustration and things of that nature. But I kept pushing because I was like, whatever I want to do, it ain't what I don't want to do. You know, it ain't, you know, it ain't what has caused me trauma. It ain't X, Y, and Z that I know has been really tough and really difficult. And, you know, we're in the middle of so many different things that's happening and time is flying. And I was just like, you know what? I got this far. Might as well keep on going and see where it takes me. So, 
So how can communities support? So right now what I'm working on is I'm, I've been advocating to get a, a separate office, independent office set up specifically for people who have been impacted by police violence. So whether they're surviving family members or they're survivors themselves of police violence, getting resources to them like mental health services, burial and funeral costs, um, being able to get assistance navigating a really hostile system that we have right now that re-traumatizes victims and families as well. Um, tra uh, traveling tra traveling costs, child care costs, uh, loss of wage costs, just really the big shebang, just to be able to stop the trauma. Because when you have someone who is killed by the police, there's just a whole other level of trauma that comes with that outside of just losing someone alone. So that's what I've been advocating for. I've been urging the Seattle City Council. I, I, people probably know my voice because I've been at all the public comments um, saying different variations of why we need support, why there still needs to be resources for victims of police violence. And I think if people were, it's called the, I call it the impacted people's budget. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, okay. yeah, so it's on all my social media for justice for everybody. Hightower Jr. So if people want to learn more about that and support it, there's still more public comment. Uh, I think there's one more that's like on November 15th, I, be, I, uh, I believe that's coming up. So people to learn more about the uh, impact of people's budget um, and dial into the public comment and then, you know, uh, go to our pages and they can learn even more. Um, so just help us just push for this initiative is one way that they can assist us. And then we also have a GoFundMe because it's not here yet. This um, <laughs> is not easy doing this work. Yeah. So we have a GoFundMe set up um, in order to pay for an attorney as well as a private investigator um, because there has been a new office of independent investigations that was set up by Governor Inslee, I think back in 2020, um, that allows, it gives an avenue for people to look at cases of police violence. And so we're trying to raise money so that we can bring it forth and hopefully reopen this case. Yes. So that's another way people can support as well. We keep going and we got to yeah. keep supporting. Oh, thank you. Still, you have just, you are so relentless as I tell you, um, but you, you're living in the color. Mm -hmm. You are living in your whole truth. I just see you from the shot girl <laughs> to a powerhouse. And oh. it's amazing to see you. Um, and we do our living color tribute. We don't have a picture today, but who would you like to tribute? My mom. So just thinking about everything that she's been through, um, you know, me, myself being a mom and just thinking about what it must be like. Um, she's been a rock for me. Um, she's gone through so much and I just want to give her her flowers. She's such a, a strong and resilient person. Um, and, and I just think she just deserves that honor. Absolutely. Yes. Shout out to mom. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And just one more time, if you could just look in that camera right there and just tell people how they can support Call to Action, sis. So you can support by supporting the Impacted People's Budget, um, learning more about it. It's on all of the Justice for Herbert Hightower Jr. social media pages. There's links all over. Um, so just click on that link, learn more about the Impacted People's Budget, show up at the next public comment. I believe it's on November 15th, but I apologize if that's wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, you can also support us by going to our GoFundMe. There's a couple of videos that I have that can link to that um, in order to donate and uh, help us reopen Herbert's case and finally get him justice. Uh, thank you so much, my thank love, you. for coming on here. Love, 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 love you. Love you too. The support. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Look, I'm still awkward. Okay. You, no, no, you, you good. <laughs> I want to thank everybody uh, for watching We Live in Color today. Uh, next week, uh, we have an amazing guest. 
it's time to bring CD up in the house. Okay, we got Regine. Okay, Dennis Jimerson will be here. I'm so excited to have him in here. We have a great pageant that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. You don't want to miss next week. You were just watching. We live in color. You have a blessed night. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.